Let us pray. Father, as we look at your word for today, may your Holy Spirit help us to digest it, that we may use it as we journey with Christ. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. Okay, as Pastor Dan asked me to replace him and uh, take this service today because he wanted a little bit of time off, and I said, sure. First of January, and then I looked at the readings for this week, and I was presented with 12 different readings because today is three different Sundays all wrapped in one. It's the first Sunday after Christmas that had a set of readings with multiple choices. It's the naming of Jesus and it's the new year. So I took the new year one. And then that's the readings you saw today. And I could have preached on the end times and revelation. I could have preached on the uh, tribulation, the end of the tribulation from the gospel. And that is actually the, the, what we normally look forward to on the first Sunday after Christmas. We've yet dealt with his first coming and we look forward. It's a reminder of our of his, his second coming on this particular Sunday. But I took the easy way out and said, okay, let's deal with New Year. And I kept coming back to the reading from Ecclesiastes. And it struck me that we just finished one year, we're starting another. It's the end of one season, the starting of another season. And what are the first words? In the, in the chapter 3, there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under heaven. So I guess that was appropriate. <clears throat> Verses 1 to 8 refer to God's appointed timetable for human activities or actions whose most appropriate time is determined by us, by man. Verses 9 to 15 remind us that even though in the first verse, eight, eight, eight verses, we think we've been determining our time, that ultimately God is responsible for the time in which events occur. It provides a, a striking balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Man does what God has willed, if we obey him. But man also does what he pleases when we don't. 
Verses 1 to 8, the preacher, Solomon, enumerates 28 activities. He starts with, um, in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Actually, he, it could have been written, verse 2, a time to be born, and then the listing of all the other activities and ending up with a time to die. Because those other uh, 13 pairs describe events in our lives. For everything there is a season. Think of for everything there is an appointed time an appropriate time for every matter under heaven. <clears throat> Genesis 1 to 31. I'm not going to quote all 31 verses. But that describes <clears throat> God setting up the rules of nature that determine the seasons, that determine how nature functions. And 8.22 in, in Genesis says, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. For everything there is an appointed time. It's a time not quite set in stone, but it's appropriate for the event. Like the appointed time for the Jewish feasts, if you read Esther 9, 27 and 31. The length of time that Nehemiah set for his absence from Susa in Nehemiah 2.6. And the appointed times in the Jewish law for the months to begin from Sirah 43.7. The Jewish word that is translated time in the second part of the verse means a time of or for an event. Like the time for rain in Ezra 10.13, a time of judgment for the nations, Ezekiel 30, verse 3. The time when mountain goats are born, from Job 39. The rain in its season, from Deuteronomy 11. The time for the harvest, from Hosea. And no one knows his hour of destiny. His time of destiny from Ezekiel 9.12. For everything under heaven, there is a time that's appointed and a time that's appropriate for it. <clears throat> now there's 14 pairs in the next eight verses. And I could, 
expound on all of them, but even at five minutes each, that's 70 minutes, and I don't know, I probably have a lot of people leaving halfway through. So I won't, but I'll pick and choose and leave the rest to you. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon, Solomon the wise. So when we're looking at these times in our lives, times after we're born, before we die, you can read them literally, but Solomon, remember, Solomon was a philosopher. And so you can also read them with a deeper meaning. He was the ruler of an agrarian society. So his first events that he mentions, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, Alan, the Ten Commandments tell us not to murder. How can there be a time to kill? Remember, agrarian society. Sometimes farm animal might be injured just so badly that it has to be put down. Other times injuries can be healed. The deeper meaning, the kill can also be translated destroy. Sometimes it's a t season to destroy, and sometimes a season to heal. Any of you that were with us when we left our previous association, you knew it was the time to destroy our relationship with that corporate body. We didn't have a choice. That was, that was the time, the appropriate time to leave. But it was also the time to try to heal our relationships with individual, individual members of that corporate body who decided to stay behind so that we could try to encourage them and enlighten them and exhort them to come with us. A time to destroy, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. One of the commentaries says, breaks this with, it's a time to break down old buildings and build new condominiums. That, I didn't go for that one. <laughs> yeah, a time to weep and a time to laugh. We know that in our lives. A time to mourn and a time to dance. 
a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to embrace when we hear the gospel. It's a time to embrace God's word. And when we hear the snake of, of Satan speaking in our ears against this word, it's a time not to embrace. If only Eve had not embraced. The words of Satan. A time to seek and a time to lose. Or give something up as lost. In Matthew 10, 39, Jesus said, Whoever seeks his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. As we look through our accumulated junk in our lives, either physical or emotional or philosophical and we go oh my goodness look at that filing cabinet I have to keep the records for six years and I've got 15 years of records here time to toss away a time to tear and a time to sow a time to keep silence and a time to speak. In our lives, as we're approaching people with the gospel of Christ, there are going to be times where you leave what you've said and you stay quiet. Let them take them home. Let them digest it. Let it work on them. Let the Holy Spirit intertwine it in their hearts and their minds and then when they come back will be the time to speak a time to love and a time to hate now that one's obvious that, you know some things we love some things we hate but deeper what's the time to love the time to love God is always in Jesus Christ The time to hate evil is always a time for war and a time for peace. As I said, these are all times that we think that we're orchestrating within our lives. But God balances life. Birth, death, sorrow, joy, meeting, parting, 
Why does he do this? Simple answer is because he's in control. Whether we acknowledge it or not, us thinking he's Lord, us thinking that Jesus is King, or not thinking, doesn't change the fact. He is. Balance. God creates a balance by ordaining some things in our lives and because of our fallen nature, allowing things in our lives. But what's his promise? That no matter what happens in our lives, he will work it to our good. He does it, he creates this balance, this meshing together of all the events in our lives so that we will not think we can easily explain God's works. We think we have everything under control. That's when we get periods of mourning that hit us. Or we get periods of war or weeping, or breaking down. But the second reason is so that we will learn to accept and enjoy what we have. It all comes from God, either by Him ordaining it, blessing us with it, or allowing it to happen, and then using it, using that bad experiences to our good. To show us that the things of the world that we think we have under control, that we've chosen the appropriate times can never really satisfy us. Therefore, we must find God's will for our lives and let Him mix the ingredients according to His purpose. So, verses 1 to 8. Are our lifetimes, or a year in each one of our lifetimes, multiplied by how many years God gives us. Now the next verses is where Solomon shows us that what control we think we have In God's hands. Verse 9. What benefit has the worker from his toil? In Hebrew, it's a play on words. What benefit has the worker from his work? What benefit do we have from our work?
if we look at only our lifetime, if our focus is on the here and now, we're born and we die. And whatever we do in between has no matter. Now maybe there's some outstanding people in history that have left a mark on history. <clears throat> but for us, regular Joes, maybe somebody will remember us 100 years from now. But who does remember us? And the one that does remember us, maybe our focus should be on him instead. God remembers us. God is the reason we're born. God is the reason we die. And he fills us with all this mix of experience in between. And if we've accepted Christ as Lord and King, then all this mixture is to our benefit. And we'll improve our walk with Christ until he comes again. But if we don't, then as Solomon writes, it's all vain. It has no meaning. If all you have is this life here on earth, it's nothing. No matter how many riches you gather, you can't take it with you. What benefit has the worker from his work? And Solomon expends, expects a negative answer. Earthly benefit? None. Heavenly benefit? To borrow a, a quotation from um, Lord of the Rings, Where's the white, white uh, lord? Saturday. No, sorry, the other one. Geldof. When he's explaining to one of the dwarfs the meaning of death, and he says, you've been given life. It's up to you what you do with it. Do you base it on your life here, or do you base it on our time with the Lord. In verse 11, he write, uh, Solomon writes, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Does that ring a bell or sound familiar? How about Genesis? Where at the end of each day, God says, and God saw 
that it was good. We might not see the beauty, but God has put everything in time in a beautiful, appropriate setting. And also he has put eternity into man's heart. Remember that in, in, in Jewish thought, the heart, yeah, we all know that's where the blood is pumped and takes oxygen around our bodies so we can function. But Jewish thought, the heart was the basis for man's intellect and emotions and will. And Solomon writes, there's this facet of eternity and desire for eternity in our hearts, in our minds, in our intellects. And when you think about it, every major religion, actually not even major religion, every religion has some concept of life after death. It's just that Christianity has the right one. But they all have some concept of what happens where would that concept have come from? Or that desire to have that concept come from? Why? With people that, besides the fact that people have a desire to have a faith or a religion, they also have this desire to have a concept of eternity. Where does it come from? God has planted it in our hearts right from the beginning. Go back to Genesis again. And Solomon is always taking you back to the beginning in all of his, his book of Ecclesiastes. He's taking you back. Go back. Take a look at Genesis. Take a look at Deuteronomy. I'm not making this all up. Go back and take a look. Verify it for yourself. And here, God designed man and woman, man general, to be in eternal relationship with God. He walked with them in the Garden of Eden. The New Testament reading from today is when it could be called the rebirth of Eden. Because at the end of Revelation, it's revealed that he will create a new heaven and a new earth and a new dwelling in the presence of God eternally. What happened the first time?
Genesis 3:22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. You know the conditions of when they were put in the Garden of Eden. There was one condition. That they not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was nothing ever said about not eating of the tree of life which gives eternal life. They were free to eat that. They were meant to live eternally with God. So God says, whoa, now they know good and evil. That's got to be cut off. And so they were expelled. But the desire for eternity, the concept of eternity, was left inside us. Yet so that he, he, that's man in general, and women, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, the easy read on that is so that we cannot find out what God has done from Genesis to Revelation. But what's Solomon concerned with here? In the beginning, we were born. In the end, we were died. We were died. In the end, we die. So we cannot find out what God has done for us in our lifetime. That all changed when Jesus came. Because now, if our hope is based on the promises of Jesus Christ that died on the cross for our sins so that the Father adopts us as children through the Holy Spirit, we're already eating the fruit of that tree of life again. So we can know with the guidance of the Holy Spirit what God is doing in our lives from beginning to end, which is eternity. Verse 12, I know, this is Solomon, not me, I know that there is nothing better for them to do than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. And also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure. And sometimes when people quote this verse, they stop there. 
Eat, drink, and be merry. That's not what Solomon says. That's fatalistic. That's whatever will be, will be. No. Solomon writes, everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil because this is God's gift to him. And it must be important because it's a repetition of what he wrote in chapter 2. In verse 24, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I know, is from the hand of God. Doesn't Paul write, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Not when we're happy. Not when things are going good. <clears throat> not when we're settled in life and things just seem to be coasting down the highway. Always. In time of love, in time of hate, in time of war, in time of peace, in time of planting and time of harvest always <clears throat> he also writes to be content with where we are because our joy is not based on where we are rich or poor happy or sad but our joy is in the Lord and what we've obtained through the Lord through our belief that he died for us so take be joyful and do good Most of the other religions, you know, that concept of eternity that they have, it's you do good and you just might end up in eternity. For the Buddhists, that means you get to join nirvana and everybody becomes one piece of nothing. The Hindus, it might mean if you do good, then you'll come back as somebody greater and if you haven't done good you come back as something less and you keep doing it until you get to nothing but here be joyful and do good we don't have to do good to get results we do good because of the results that God has given us And to do good as long as we live is God's will for us. And close with a verse, another verse from Ecclesiastes, from chapter 12, verses 13 to 14. It's not in the slides. The end of the matter, after all has been heard, fear God.
and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for the past year. For the many blessings that you've bestowed on each one of us. We ask your forgiveness for those times in this past year when we've taken our eyes off you and have directed our lives by our own personal desires and not your will. And Father, we pray for this year, this new year, that your blessings may continue to overflow on us. That more and more your will becomes our will. That truly your name may be held here on earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.